0: Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Stuart Mays, Fish and Ski Guide Service out of Minnesota. He's hanging out with Brad, and so we're going to bring him on in a little bit, and we're going to talk, but we got a little intro here for me and Brad. You know, typical, we got to kind of BS for, you know, half a minute or two or five, whatever. It's different every week. Brad, muskie season's here, which is good. I've only still been out since, uh, I don't know when it was, Memorial Day weekend. I haven't been out. It's... Uh, but that's fine. You know, we're going to, that'll all change here pretty quick. We're going to get back on the water, get things rolling again. But so have you, how's fishing been for you? I guess I would say it hasn't been too long since I talked to you because it's only been a few days. So I'm hoping maybe you got on the water. Uh, we're actually ahead of schedule on this one. We, we needed to, but um, you know, happy to report that uh, we're going to not miss another, another episode this week. We're going to continue our streak, but Brad, one of us too has to be on the water. Hopefully it's you.
1: well unfortunately jeff i i have not been on the water as much as i normally would be at this point in season i mean we're coming into the first full week already and unfortunately just been running around doing a bunch of other stuff so i uh that will change here probably starting tomorrow actually Anyway, I did slip out one more time. Uh, Two days ago, I got out on the water. I spent about four hours on the water. We ended up with one fish and ended up losing one. So I'm two for two on probably seven to eight hours of fishing.
0: That's good. I mean, if you can keep that up, you're going to have a banger season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to spending some major hours on the water versus what I've been doing. And uh, I don't know it'll all come together here shortly. And I'll tell you what, i things are looking really, really good. So I'm not going to complain one bit.
0: Well, where I'm sitting, it's looking like we're going to see some, you know, warmer temperatures, which will be nice, you know, kind of get, kind of get everything, you know, moved past that post spawn, get out of that funk that they norm, that they could potentially be in, you know, although, I, I mean, I've been seeing reports from a lot of you know, people have been tagging us and stuff. Hey, we caught this on this color. We did whatever. And I mean, it definitely looks like there's fish being put in the net, you know, from a lot of people. I had talked to Bill Schwartz from Slammer Tackle and, you know, he's been on a pretty solid bite down in Southern Wisconsin. He said he's been putting anywhere from, you know, one to three fish in the net every single time he's been out. And I don't believe Bill's out there pounding 12 hours a day. It doesn't sound like he's been you know lighting the world on fire as far as like the biggest fish ever but i know he did get a 43 inch tiger which for southern wisconsin is actually really cool i mean those are hard pressed to find down in southern wisconsin
1: yeah absolutely i mean anybody would take that right
0: oh you know they're i'll always say it the tiger muskie is still the most beautiful fish that swims in my opinion i mean it doesn't matter if it's 30 inches or 48 they're obviously a lot cooler when they're 48 because they're a lot harder to find but you know, they're still all really just unbelievable. I, I mean, every one of them's a true trophy.
1: Yeah, I would totally agree with that, Jeff. You know, I, I really do think that uh, the, the beauty of what's kind of going on is this is more of a typical uh, season, if you will. I think a lot of us get uh, distorted with, you know, the weather patterns that we've had over the past couple of years and that that's the new normal or whatever it might be. But honestly, this is, you know... This is old school. This is kind of reminds me of years ago, how fishing and weather has been, you know what I mean? June is one of them deals. One day you're cooking and the next day, you know, you're you're freezing out there. So I don't know, I, I think this is great. I love what's going on with our weather and you're right. It's gonna warm up a little bit and things are gonna start really rocking. So I'm super excited about how everything's playing out at this point.
0: For sure. Things are going to start rocking. And if you need gear to get out for your next musky fishing adventure, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. And as per usual, Brad, where else should they be shopping?
1: Well, hopefully they come see us at com, And you can check us out both on Instagram, Facebook, as well as YouTube. And uh, we appreciate all of our customers. And I'll tell you, man, it's been amazing. Uh, I know there's been a couple tournaments already won on our product this year out on St. Clair and thank you Jason Quintano and then uh, throughout the state of Minnesota as well as Wisconsin and I even think in Iowa there's been a bunch of fish caught on our product so we love hearing about it and uh, I'll tell you when somebody sends us a picture or we see it posted on social media it's it's pretty cool it makes you feel pretty good.
0: We're gonna make this intro short and sweet and we're gonna go uh, bring Stuart in and we'll talk to him for a little while. Yeah, our guest today is Stuart Mays, Fish and Ski Guide Service out of Minnesota. Stuart, we'll call him a young kid. I think that's Brad what Brad called him, isn't that right, Brad? Isn't he how how old are you, Stuart? Like thirty like uh, like thirty-two, eighteen? Yeah, I'm I'm twenty
2: six years
0: old. Yeah. We're gonna call him a kid, Brad. I mean, he's technically if I would have started pretty early, he could be my kid, and that's not good. So we're gonna call him a kid. <laughs> well. yeah. Call him what
1: you want, but uh, he definitely has some good experience in this whole sport and uh, hopefully something to offer everybody today.
0: Well, just because I call him a kid doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, degrade his abilities to catch muskies. I mean, there's a lot of kids in the sport that uh, definitely uh, are putting some fish in the boat and Stuart would be one of them, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's cool to see, you know, there's been uh, a few years where, we didn't see any new guides coming up through the ranks, right? And all of a sudden a bunch of these younger guys are popping back up. And and I've seen these come in waves for I don't know, the last twenty years. It's really strange, but there'll be a hole for like five, ten years and then all of a sudden a bunch of younger guys come out and they're way into it and Stuart's one of those guys.
0: Excellent. Well, Stuart, let's give you a chance to talk here. So First time we've ever had you on the podcast, why don't you go through a little bit of the background, talk about your guide service, talk about what got you into muskie fishing, just give everybody uh, an idea of who they're listening to today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, like Jeff said, I'm Stuart Mays with Fish and Ski Guide Service. I mean, I grew up in Minnetonka, Minnesota, just grew up bass fishing, pike fishing. Uh, my old man got me into trout fishing from a young age down in uh, southeastern Minnesota and New Mexico where he grew up. I kind of got into muskie fishing, I'd say, maybe six, eight years ago is when I kind of started. Um, I got really into it the past five years. My buddy actually pressed me pretty hard to get into musky fishing, and I was kind of reluctant. And, you know, now I'm into it, which is, we all know it's kind of a sickness. So now that's basically all I do. Basically started on Minnetonka, fish Minnetonka for two, three years, and I kind of migrated up here to western Minnesota, and now I hang out with Brad Hoppy, and he's been you know, gracious enough to have me here. So I've been fishing um, the lakes around this area a lot and having a lot of fun, learning new water, you know, and just learning in general muskie fishing every day.
0: Well, you must be a pretty big deal if Brad invites you over to his house. He'd never do that for me. So, I mean, that's that, that says something about you right there. Yeah. Wow.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I about to be about Mika and me have just become such good friends. That's the only reason I get to come back.
0: I think Mika likes to make friends with everybody that comes over there. I know, like, I think Chase is one of her best friends, too. Yeah, it definitely is. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the water right now. I mean, you've been out quite a bit. It sounds like you've been getting on the water. Let's. Uh, what are these muskies up to in Minnesota these days?
2: Uh, yeah, so up here in western Minnesota, it's uh, it's been pretty good for us. Um, I've fished saturday sunday monday tuesday and we've had i think four bites caught one fish i mean you're getting chances at fish right now you know whether that's the skill of the angler or or the muskies being lazy and and slow but uh it's been it's been fun seeing lots of fish a lot of the fish that we're seeing right now are kind of more stacked up on the edge but they're still fish shallow in the weeds so they're kind of they're kind of all spread out um, but definitely, I think me and Brad were out the other day, and there was a, a good amount of fish that were stacked up on that, you know, 20-foot break line where the weeds are just kind of starting to sprout up out there. Water temps are like 62 to 65, I think we've seen so far. So, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a matter of time here before things really start going when weeds start sprouting up, and probably a lot of these fish are going to move open water. So, it's, it's kind of getting to go time right now, for me at least.
1: We've had a cooler spring than what we've had the last couple of years, but I would say that this is more normal. A lot of people are saying this is abnormal, but, you know, if I look back at the history of all my years of fishing, this is a pretty normal spring. And generally, I mean, I can remember being bundled up pretty good in the month of June, whether you're trolling or casting or whatever else. And in June for Minnesota, and I don't know if this follows for Wisconsin and out east, but June is our wettest month of the year normally. Now, we haven't had any rain in the last couple weeks here, but May was crazy with rain. And I'm assuming, I mean, if you look at the 10-day forecast, there's supposed to be rain almost every day. And I would say that uh, we're right on track for a normal open water bite, honestly. Way better than it was last year. Last year, opening day, it was 90-some degrees, and we were like out there just sweating our butts off. And... Not dealing with it really well, so I, I think uh, I like where we're sitting. I'm hoping that this uh, cooler spring like this too will help us be able to fish throughout the whole season versus missing a few weeks, three weeks, whatever it might be, with uh, warm water temps. So I like it where we are right
0: now. So then, Brad, you—I mean, you—you you talked about how you liked it. Do you do you suppose this sets up for maybe? Uh, I don't know how to say it. There's nothing easy in musky fishing, but is, do you suppose it's going to set up for a? potentially better season than the past couple seasons we've had?
1: I do believe that uh, because I feel like it's more of a normal year so far, who knows? Because Mother Nature plays a lot of games, right? I mean, we could be setting up perfect, 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 and boom, something major happens, right? But honestly, I mean, I like where we are right now in the sense that – the normalcy and uh, the way the patterns should set and lock up. Yes, I would agree with that, Jeff, that I think it's going to get better.
0: Well, I mean, Brad, you couldn't be more right when it came to Mother Nature. Like, we'll just take, for example, you know, we spent a good portion of April talking early season muskies and every one of it was late spring, late spring, late spring. And then, you know, no sooner than we put it out, a couple weeks later, you get a nice warm-up in May. But then, you know, it it got... I guess we'll say back to normal. So, I mean, shut things down a little bit so we didn't get those extreme water temperatures like you talked about earlier that we saw last year. Because, you know, by this time last year, you know, we're, sadly, we're almost at mid-June. You know, things were were quite a bit different. I mean, weed growth was higher, especially because we also had early ice off last year. So, it you know, much like every season, this one's obviously going to be different. It's going to present different challenges. And, you know, we could try to prognosticate about what's going to happen this summer, but... I mean, much like you said, mother nature can throw us a curveball, in, in two weeks. And, and next thing you know, we're talking about hot water again.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's pretty ridiculous to think last year on Oprah, we were looking at, you know, just surface temps, but surface temps were low seventies to mid seventies on some days, which is, is pretty ridiculous for what we have going right now.
0: So Stuart, let's talk about baits that you've seen muskies on this year. What's been, what, you know, what have your baits of choice been so far?
2: A lot of bucktails. Um, it it kind of was kind of first bait through was the, the bait getting seen and getting the action for us, at least in my boat. Let's see, we threw cowgirls at them. We threw CJ spinners at them, uh, detonators. And then the grenades probably been the, the most productive bait for us. I caught one on the grenade the other day. My buddy had one eat the grenade. So that's, that's kind of been our best bait. But it's, it's more or less blades that we haven't seen much on rubber, which is strange for me for this time of year we're going to give them what they want and that's been blades for sure.
0: So let's talk about speed for a minute. You know, Brad talks about slow, slow, slow quite a bit. I mean, that's not to say he doesn't dial up the speed once in a while, but he's talking slow more often. Is that kind of your MO as well?
2: Before I met Brad, I'd say it wasn't, but yeah, Brad's definitely changed my opinion on that a little bit. I will say kind of the, the early spring, like we're in right now, the shallow water stuff, we were doing better, moving the blades quite a bit faster. I think it's more or less just because I don't necessarily know if they're eating when they're up there in that really shallow water. It's more of a reaction strike. So smaller blades or bigger blades, whatever you want to do, but moving pretty fast, that's when we're seeing our fish or getting our chances at fish. And then moving off the edge, definitely, I like to slow down a lot and get that bait a little bit deeper. I would say this too, Jeff. You know,
1: it's been pretty wild. You know, Carrie's fish that she caught uh, opening weekend on Sunday, she was burning pretty good. and as she she moved every fish. She's in the front of the boat. I'm in the back. She moved every fish. I never, I mean, I could have just been sitting back there in the lawn chair, you know. First bait through is really key. I think Stuart just said that. Matt, it's amazing how um, how wild. I mean, these fish want to move, but they're just not quite there to really commit every time, you know. Not that you can't get a bite, but but it's been strange. They, they like to follow and chase, and they kind of lose interest in the aid. But the first bait through was important, and Carrie was burning and burning and burning. And being the first day of the season, you could tell she started slowing down throughout the, the couple hours that we were out there. And when she slowed down just a little bit, that's when she just got pummeled. And that fish ate away from the boat, right? It's kind of interesting. But a lot of these fish are hanging a little bit deeper than everybody told us that all the fish are in two to three feet of water. So I went to twenty foot of water, and uh, and we scored. So the fish are scattered. Definitely, I've talked to Brian Schaefer in Northern Wisconsin yesterday. He told me the same exact things that I'm seeing. It's amazing how it all relates across the country. We both were talking about fish following. Stewart's talking about fish following, but they are not committing.
2: They're kind of scattered throughout the whole system at this point. That's a good thing about that. That you're seeing fish. I mean. They're muskies they're going to eat eventually. We're just going to stay at it. And, you know, sooner or later, it's going to turn out pretty good.
0: Well, then let's talk a little bit about patterning, you know, you know, for anglers on the water. That's one thing, if you could figure it out, uh, you know, every single given day, it'd make this a whole lot easier. And that's what makes muskies so difficult is because sometimes you get so many or so few opportunities at them, whether it be follows or seeing them or catching them, that sometimes it's hard to stick to a pattern so, I guess, what would you recommend to anglers hitting the water, you know, soon as far as, I mean, would you recommend they, they check both deep and, and shallow still?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would be checking both the shallow and the deep, um, you know, whether that's open water or you're checking the weed edges of stuff. But my kind of thought process going through it was right away I went shallow and I looked for the greenest weeds I possibly could. Helps knowing, like, you know, where a lot of times the weeds grow. It's the greenest weeds you can find. There was muskies there, so that's a that's kind of a a staple for me there. As soon as I saw a bunch of small fish shallow, I went to the weed edges deeper, um, that like twenty foot break line, and we started seeing some bigger fish, having chances of bigger fish, and you know that's that's kind of just the pattern I was going through. And now we're starting to see fish where I'm my boat's in twenty feet, and I'm not casting up on top of the structure. I'm casting away from the structure and you're starting to see a lot more fish kind of stacked up that cast length or so away from you know the brake line or whatever you want to call it um so that to me means that you know open water fishing is going to start kicking off pretty soon here that and also just kind of the you know little clues you see like you start seeing some mayflies on top of the water stuff like that i mean that's all kind of just your your clues of what's going on as well as if you drive around you see some uh, schools of tulipy out in the basin. So, I mean, there's, there's some cool things happening right now. And it's, it's probably going to turn to a, a pretty solid open water bite here pretty soon.
0: I want to talk about that open water bite, but I want to jump to, you know, some of the equipment that you're using right now, Stuart, you know, for, I get, I see enough questions that guys are talking, you know, rods and reels frequently. What is it that you're using right now as far as equipment's concerned?
2: Yeah. So as far as reels go, um, I like mushroom Shimano reels. Um, basically all my rods are either going to have a tranks 500 on them or a tranks 400 they're just the most durable ones that i've found personally pretty tough to beat up those tranks 500s as far as line goes on that stuff 80 to 100 pound cortland master braid is my personal preference of line super tough line it's a little bit thicker line a little bit softer and cast it a little bit better in my opinion across the board for rods i use thorn brothers custom rods 10 foot rods is what i'm using mainly and they're just really nice for casting me big baits and all these companies are making bigger longer rods for you know ease of casting and stuff like that so that's what i'm using as far as leaders go i mean i just use a 12 inch uh, steel leader for about everything keep it pretty simple there but i mean there's so many good options for everything out there so i think it's whatever whatever you're comfortable with and there's so many good companies that make stuff like like you provide great stuff too jeff so i mean there's there's tons of options for people out there
0: so, Stuart, let me ask you one question. So, I had an email the other day. A guy offered up a few suggestions on reels. One of them, or, you know, things that he was looking for. One of them was the Tranks. The other one was a, a ProRex. First off, I got a question for you on the Tranks because I agree totally. I I love the reel. The only issue I've had with my Tranks 400s is seems like my drag will back off because I lock my drag down tight and then I just free spool fish. Do you have any issues with that or not?
2: I think that's like a 50 like 50 a crapshoot on those Tranks 400s. I worked at a bait shop for a long time, so I mean, I saw a bunch of reels come in and have, you know, problems and whatnot. Two of my Tranks 400s do that. The, the drag just backs off. No idea why. My other ones don't. So that's kind of a, just kind of have to check it as you go type thing. Um, but yeah, super weird that those do that for sure, but kind of is what it is. It's still a, a really quality reel.
0: Yeah, I'll absolutely agree with you on that. I'm not trying to take anything away from it. I still think it's the best one out there, but I've had that, so you know. Note to anybody using one: if you're one of those that locks your drag down, just make sure you check your drag settings. Uh, you know, whatever. It, every once, yeah. you know, a couple times a day or whatever, I just make sure it's still tight and it's fine. I noticed that I went to set the hook on something small early season, and uh, you know, my drag slipped, and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, new season. Got to remember to get back and do that again. It's something I kind of got out of habit of.
1: I'll just say this, Joe: you might have some drag issues with your tracks. But if you're using a pro-rex, you probably won't have to worry about anything because it probably isn't going
0: to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily want to always, you know, go down that route, but I've, I have questions about it and it was one of them that was listed in that email. And I, sp- I think I had, you know, prior to this, I had heard good things about them but I don't know enough about him. I, I didn't offer up any suggestions. You know, the other one was like, um, Abu Garcia, uh, Rivo Toro Beast, and I've used those, and I haven't had any issues with those either. Typically, I've been sticking with Shimano most of my life. In fact, honestly, lately, though, I've still been pulling out my old TEs. I think it's the Calcutta D. I've been going back to round reels more. It's, I don't know, maybe it's because I can't find, you know, new tranks if I needed a new tranks, but uh, i just been going back to the old school stuff. It seems like that works for me too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only thing I'll say about those Daiwas, I mean, I've used them. My buddies have used them. Some of my buddies love them. So, I mean, they might be good reels. I just know that the few I've bought haven't made it a, you know, a full season for me. So, I, I tend to stay away from them.
1: That's my issue with them, too. Um, Mika is using one of Stewart's old reels. He basically... Did you get that one rebuilt and just give it to her? Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah, and, and she cast it really fine. So, they seem really smooth. The longevity is my issue with them, and uh, I I struggle with that. So you're talking about old round reels. I still have a ton of TEs, and I love them, and I'm still a round reel guy, but the reel that I started getting now is the Conquest. It's basically a TE on steroids, in my opinion.
0: Well, the one thing about the Conquest is how darn small that thing is. Like, in your hand, it's, you know, like... I didn't feel like a TE was that big, but that Conquest seems like it's even a tad smaller, isn't it? Because the one, maybe, I don't know, I think the one I have is a 400.
1: I'm not sure about the diameter, but I do know that the reel seat, or where the reel seat attaches, it's in a little bit more. So it does definitely seem closer to the rod, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah,
2: definitely. It's, It's like a, it's a big round reel, but it's like almost a low profile reel seat they put on it
0: quality stuff out of shimano i don't think it's hard to beat that stuff i mean in my opinion obviously everybody has their own opinion but for me it's always been shimano and it you know i haven't seen a reason to switch yeah absolutely seemed like the best drills to me as well so Stuart, let me ask you a little bit about your 10 foot rods that's that becomes more and more a thing these days and i don't personally use them nine foot nine six is about as big as i go I'm just curious, you know, do you ever fish solo? Is it, is there ever an issue where you got that 10 foot rod and you're trying to, you know, put a muskie in the net? Cause I can imagine it would be a potentially a bit cumbersome, but I could be wrong too. I, like I said, I don't use them. I'm just looking for, for your information on it.
2: Yeah. I mean, netting a fish solo is always a, you know, a hairy topic and a tough time, but you know, if it's the if the ten foot rod and it's making it a little more difficult, I'll I'll take the, the fact that I have a fish on. I have a chance to net a fish, but no, I mean it's it's fine. I mean, netting a solo fish for me, I mean, I have a big double XL drifter net too. So I mean, I basically get that net in the water and almost use my gunnel as a lever on on my uh, the pole of my net there. So I mean, I just basically put that in the water and reach my rod back as far as I can in one of my hands and almost drop the rod when the fish gets really close and just go for the net. So, I mean, I haven't had a problem with the 10 foot rod. The only negative of a 10 foot rod, in my opinion, is, is storing it. So whether that be, you know, you're staying at a hotel or you got to bring your rods inside every night, if you're not in a a safe area, that's the only problem I've had with them. Traveling without a boat, it can be an issue too. Yeah. Putting it in your little truck or whatever. That's a, that's a tough one as well.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that. (laughs) Um, Brad, you uh, do you have any much experience with ten foot rods? Or are you what are you rolling with these days? You're a little more old school. Yeah,
1: um, actually, the last couple of years I've been running the Saint Croix ten footer. I
2: mean, I, I think the the positives of a ten foot rod completely outweigh the, the the few negatives of having a ten foot rod. I mean, the castability of them, you can cast those baits so much further with so much you know, you know, less strength involved in there. Like I said, on my ten foot extra heavy, I throw anything from like a, a showgirl to a Husky Medusa or a Pounder. So, I mean, everything in that range of bait wise is, is being thrown on my 10 foot extra heavy. So, I mean, that just, that basically all you need is one, one rod. If you're fishing Minnesota from in my mind, that's the rod I would get a 10 foot extra heavy rod. So, I mean, it's an incredible rod. Figure eights are way better to get way wider. You can get way deeper with it. Just kind of an incredible, incredible rods. I, I look
1: at it this way, Jeff, you know, your rod is basically a lever. And and when I've taught people when they first start casting, you know, you see all these different people using their backs and they're twisting the whole time and, you know, literally like looking backwards with their rod and coming back around like they're swinging a baseball bat or a golf club or something. Literally, I try to square up to where I want to cast. And I'm using my right hand and my left hand, depending on which way you cast. If you're casting left-handed... The The right hand is going to be at the butt of the rod, and basically all you're doing is you're pushing one hand and pulling the other hand into your body, right? And you're using that rod as a lever, and the reason that a 10-foot rod becomes easier is that lever is that much longer. And so you're able to launch these, load the rod up, that bait's going to fly like none other. And I mean, that's the simplistic way to say it, I guess, and hopefully I did a good enough job explaining, but... You know, it's a push and pull method is what I've always coached and and told people in the boat. And by doing that with a longer rod, you get way more advantage. Absolutely.
0: So I should probably put my seven foot rods away is what you're telling me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I will say this, you know, Stuart said you probably only need one rod. And I agree with him 100%. Forever I use nine foot rods for everything. And then it was nine and a half. And then now I'm in the tens price point wise and whatever else i mean it's crazy but i think a lot of the rod manufacturers want you to have this rod for this particular bait and they want to have this for this and this and that but at the end of the day there are a few baits that you definitely need to change rods for and i think the the biggest example is, is giant gliders a lot of times, you know, a 9- or a 10-foot rod, you're going to struggle with some of those really big gliders. Now, a lot of the smaller ones, you can still get by with a 10-foot rod, no problem.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the one thing to, to go kind of go against what Brad's saying there, too, is these reels are incredible. And a lot of these reels have such a high rate of pickup online, you can get away with just using your reel for a lot of those glide baits too now giant glide glide baits like brad's talking he's right a shorter rod is a little nicer for that but these these reels are incredible and like when i work a glider it's all with my reel you know mainly um so there's a lot you can get away with so like i said for for one rod specifically i mean you can get away with one 10 foot rod and a good reel or a nine and a half rod whatever you want to do but one rod one reel you can get away with a lot as far as musky fishing goes and it's not a it's not a cheap sport to get into, so that's kind of why I'm saying you really only need one if you're going to do the vast majority of of stuff for muskie fishing.
1: I got a question, though, Stuart. Yeah, what's your opinion on two piece rods versus a single
2: blank? Um, I mean personally i have always ran a single blank rods. I don't like two piece. I mean, for travel, awesome. I'm sure they're awesome, but I mean, I just don't want to have a. In my opinion, a, a two piece rod is a is a breaking point. It's a, it's a weak point of a rod. Um, so that's why I don't like it. I mean, there's all these companies doing telescopy rods now, which I'm sure are great as well. Um, but for me personally, I just like having one, you know, solid piece blank, just so that I have less failure points, in my opinion, at least. I would agree.
0: Well, I will say, I mean, uh, and on the shipping end of things, I understand why they're pushing telescopic rods. Because quite honestly, unless you go into a store to buy a rod, it's virtually... I mean, it's ridiculous how much it costs to ship a rod. I mean, you want to ship a nine foot rod, say from here to like anywhere outside the speedy zone, it's going to cost you like $170 to ship that rod. That's insane.
2: And it might show up broken with freight.
0: I mean, it very well could. You never know these days. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's amazing. Uh You know,
1: you look at a, say a $300, $500 rod, and now you're going to pay an extra almost $200 to get it shipped to your house. I mean, that's pretty wild.
0: If you're within the speedy zone, they're still fine. But how long before they change their rates too? Because I mean, they've continued to increase, increase, increase rates. It's been, uh, shipping is an issue for us every day, you know? So obviously rods are just another issue. So I understand why they do it. You know, if they keep it under eight foot, it should, certainly makes it a lot more, uh, economical as far as shipping stuff.
2: Yeah. Well, one more thing I'll add in about those rods and reels, Jeff, is this is something I always, always say when I'm, you know, when I work at Thumb Brothers for, this, for the spring sales or shows or whatever, buy a good reel. And I think you both would agree with me, buy a, you know, a $300 reel, whether that's, you know, your Shimano's, or your Daiwa's, whatever it is, buy a good reel, buy a $150, $200 rod. I mean, yes, then the $500, $500 rods are very nice, but the reel is, is far more important in my opinion. Get a nice reel, otherwise you're going to bust that reel up right away and you're going to be you know, out $200 or $150, whatever you paid for that reel. So having a nice reel is super, super important for musky fishing. I agree with that 100%. And I
1: think uh, there's nothing more frustrating than uh, having reel issues when you're on the water. And <laughs> if you are only running one setup, you're brand new to the sport, you're going to have one rig. Spend your dollars in that reel. I, I would agree with Stuart on that.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I don't know how you could disagree with it. Like in my opinion, you're right. The reel is obviously more important. So, Stuart, let's talk about your setup there yet. you ever used any, like, the jig rippers or the handle extensions or anything like that on any of your, your setups?
2: I've used a jig ripper on my buddy's rod, i don't know maybe for 10 minutes or something like that um i can definitely see where it would would definitely help some people i mean if you got any kind of you know pain or whatever it is it it does seem like it would work really well me personally i haven't had any problems yet so i just use uh you know a standard rod there my rear on the back of my rod is 19 inches so i haven't had to put it you know another extension on it or anything like that but there's definitely a a place for those j-grippers and you know who knows i'm only 26 i might start having some pains here soon and I might be using a jig gripper before we know it.
0: <laughs> I was going to actually say that. I'm like, well, what a steward. No, he's only 26. He's still got a long ways to go.
1: <laughs> Adonitis, it, you know, is a major problem with a lot of people in this sport. Definitely the jig gripper has saved some people from, uh, you know, putting them on the sidelines to keeping them in their boat fishing. So it's a remarkable tool. There's no, no question about it. One place I
2: might use it, I've seen a lot of people, whether that's you know online or at boat launches or anything like that, is people seeing people put the G Gripper on their rod, so I, or on their rod on their uh, on their net. So that might be something I consider doing just for solo fishing. Might make a bit a bit of a difference.
0: I've often thought about that too. I just never got around to it yet. But it's definitely on my things that I want to try is putting it on my net because I do a lot of solo fishing, so. I know all about solo net jobs and I'm wondering if, not that I've, I don't actually know if I've even lost many, although now I'm probably going to lose the first one I I have an opportunity (laughs) at this year, but um, I always just wonder if it wouldn't make things just a little smoother. You know, you're always looking to, you know, I mean, if you get a big, a really big fish next to the boat, last thing you want to do is lose it because you were out there by yourself.
2: Yeah, but that's kind of the beauty of it too. I mean, it's, it's solo, solo fishing. I mean, Things are going to happen. Things aren't going to always go your way. It's not as, not as easy if you have a buddy in the boat with you, but at least you had a chance to fish.
0: All right, Stuart. Well, everybody talks about open water fishing and, you know, this, I would say starting here any time now. And, you know, a lot of them I would say are probably trolling and it definitely sounds to me like you're not so much about the trolling in the open water. Why don't you talk about, you know, finding and catching muskies in the open water while you're casting.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So. Just to touch on the trolling, definitely effective. Works really well, Um, especially if you don't know a body of water very well. I would definitely start out trolling that open water, finding you know those transitions from hard to soft bottom, finding where the bait is, all that kind of stuff. But for me personally, I really like casting. I really like you know bringing fish to the boat and showing people that fish are actually out here. So I mean, I kind of know where a lot of the transition lines are, you know where fish have been caught before. So I mean, I have those waypoints and stuff like that. So, I mean, for me, it's going to be, I'll be fishing basically any kind of open water basin next to the structure. That's what I like to do. So anywhere there's a big giant point coming off the the shore, underwater point, whatever you want to call it. There's a big deep water hole there where that fish has access to deep water and shallow water. More than likely there's going to be bait there. There's more than likely going to be muskies there. So kinda of once I have those areas kind of dialed in, I'll go to casting. And whether that's just drifting casting or running a spot with a trolling motor, I throw a lot of grenades open water, I throw a lot of Medusas, you know, Royal Orbas, stuff like that. It's really hard to wrap your mind around it if you don't have, you know, a live scope or whatever, but it's no different than structure fishing. It just it's something you gotta get through in your mind that you're fishing. You know, something, your fishing structure, you're fishing where fish are. So that's kind of the way that I, I go about it in my mind. You're still fishing bait, you're fishing where fish normally are. So, I mean, that, that's kind of what I'm doing out there in the open water.
1: A lot of times, I think the bait is the structure. And I've said that throughout the years on the podcast. But, you know, if you have tulipies out in the middle, well, guess what? Not too far behind. And a lot of times, those fish are just set up kind of what I call babysitting, you know, and I, I think I've shown that on film a few times where you mark something on side imaging, there's a big ball of tulipies and right next door is this muskie just sitting there waiting, you know, pick one off here and there when they're hungry. Right. So a lot of times if you can get out there and you start throwing into those clusters of, of bait fish like that, the tulipies, you, you'd be surprised. You're going to scatter the tulipies with your bait and that muskie's going to see, hey, this thing's ruining my my next meal, and
2: boom, they're going to eat. You know, and that, that's kind of the ticket. Yeah, absolutely. And and as far as that goes, I mean, I probably fish pretty high compared to most people. I don't really, I don't really let my baits get down that far. You know, whether that's my paranoia of bringing a fish up from too deep, because I mean, let's be real, we're fishing over seventy to you a know, hundred foot of water a lot of times you can bring a fish up too deep and You know, we all know that's not good for them. So, I mean, my bait might be 10, 15 feet down. And like Brad said, you're definitely casting over top of bait. And the other cool thing too, is if you're not really confident in it, you can just drive around and you'll see them on your side imaging. They're not big, huge marks like you'll see in shallow water, but you'll see them. It'll be a big, dense white mark on your side imaging. And a lot of time you'll get a, a little return from it on the
0: side as well. I would say that, you know, it's, You guys talk about tulip-based lakes, whereas I think in like the Wisconsin guys, they're fishing, you know, mostly it would be, you know, crappies or perch or bluegills or whatever suspended. And I think you can do the same thing with those fish too. And, you know, Stuart, I know, you know how you mentioned that you like to keep your baits kind of high in the water column. I was going to ask you about that because that's one thing I think sometimes, and maybe I'm mistaken, that anglers feel like when they're in open water, they need to get their baits down really deep and like, it's a, it's a deep presentation, but in the, you know, the times that I went out over deep water, you know, again, I'm fishing northern Wisconsin, I shouldn't say deep water over open water, you know, away from structure out in the middle of the lake, because uh, open water is a relative term if you know, the fish will use, I mean, if they if they have 30 feet deep, they'll, they'll use that it, it doesn't have to be 70 feet. And, you know, I've been catching those fish you know, high in the water column. I haven't been fishing real, real deep on them. And I've even had a bunch of them that'll hit right at the boat. I mean, I've, you gotta make sure you do good figure eights, same as you would, if you were fishing structure, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like, like you, like you said about where your Wisconsin lakes and stuff like that, without tulipies. Um, I do it down in Minnetonka and it, I, I do it a little bit differently down there, like I kind of said earlier, I'll be a cast length off the brake line casting to, you know, open water. And a lot of times those fish are around there because you'll have, you know, pods of perch or, or bluegill or crappie out there. So that's your, that's your bait fish then. And not, it's not going to be too will be probably more of the, you know, panfish stuff out there. But I mean, there's still muskies around there and there's still muskies that I think primarily just feed on that open water stuff. I think it's interesting too,
1: Jeff, you know, this bite,
2: we, we look
1: forward to it every year in the month of June. I know I do anyway. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do is fish open water but the other side to it is is that there's times throughout the season that this can be (laughs) relative as well and I I know a bunch of different years in the past that uh, October I see the same exact thing now they are still relating to structure kind of like you're just talking about right now and kind of like what Stuart was talking about getting on a large point or Maybe it's a massive inside turn that just drops right off out into the open abyss. But those fish will a lot of times slide off that structure and just be kind of hanging out there in that 20 to 35 feet of water. And so basically you can run the side of the structure and cast out. And I've had a ton of success with that in the month of October.
0: You know, we talk about open water. We've talked about it time and time and time again, Brad. And, you know, Stuart, sounds like, you know, you got something dial in out there too. What would you say, I guess, to give anglers confidence to do it? Because I know when I'm out musky fishing, I still very rarely see anybody either trolling or fishing, I would say, off structure. Maybe it's just how anglers over here are, are conditioned, but we want to find weeds and we want to find structure. And they're not pushing much off structure. So I want to say it's a confidence issue. And the only way to do it is to, you know, the only way to gain confidence in a a particular pattern is to go and do it and have success doing it. So is there anything you guys can offer up to maybe lessen that, you know, help, help out with the confidence factor, lessen that or shorten that learning curve?
1: I think Stuart hit it on the head. If you're feeling unconfident and you're not sure where to start, trolling can be a really good way to do that. And I will say the importance of the trolling aspect is you got a rod going off. Make sure you hit mark on your waypoint or mark a waypoint on your unit because that's an eater spot. And what I'm talking about is you might drive over fifteen fish, but they're not eating. They have little areas where they like to eat and you're gonna learn that way quicker trolling than you are casting. So once you have some of that, and it's pretty wild, I've seen a wave of change, and we'll see if Stuart agrees, but in the last year or two, there's a ton of people that are doing more casting in the open water than they are trolling here in the state of Minnesota, and I think that's based upon their experience with trolling has put them in an area where they can now cast. I had a question in the boat the other day, and somebody was asking me, have you ever thrown top water in open water? And I'm, I'm like, yes, I have. We've caught muskies on top water in 100 feet of water. So think about that for a minute, you know. And one of the other things that I wanted to kind of touch on before Stuart takes over is when you're starting to see these tulipies, you know, in the evening when you got a big, massive bug hatch, and these tulipies are jumping. I mean, they're literally following the bug life from the bottom up to the surface. And as they start lifting more and more to the surface, You're going to see these tulipies kind of jumping and eating these bugs right on the surface. Just keep in mind, those muskies are going to be right there. You do not want to fish below them. So then you you need to get your bait in the water, whether it's burning to keep it up, or maybe even going to a topwater, say a glider that rides high or something like that. So definitely things to think about. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this at this point, but Supernatural is coming out with a casting version Of both the matlock and the headlock and i've i've played with it we got some fish in the boat already on it it's an incredible bait you can keep it just below the surface if you want or you can burn it and try to get it down you know right around 10 15 feet when you're really on it so definitely going to be another really cool option it's something that you just have to explore and be confident and work at it really hard and to build that confidence. I
2: think trolling is the major key to start. Absolutely. You're hundred percent right. Trolling is the, the best way to kind of learn it just for gaining confidence on it. Jeff, I, w- I would say, I mean, think, think back when, to when you just started musky fishing. I mean, you were, probably weren't very confident in you know, going out there and throwing these big giant baits, thinking the fish is actually going to eat it. So I mean, it's no different than that. I mean, just it's, it's starting over. It's something completely new than what you're used to. Um, so, I mean, just getting out there, putting time on the water, in the open water, you're going to struggle right away. It's going to be hard, but, I mean, eventually you start putting the piece of the puzzle together and you'll find fish, you'll find bait, and it'll happen. There's, there's a lot of fish out there. That's the one thing I will say is that during that time frame when open water bite's going on, I think there's a lot more fish out there than there is on the weeds or anything like that. So, it's kind of, you're kind of playing with the numbers game out there. There's a lot more fish out there in that time frame.
1: And it's an area that's not normally where fish are seeing a ton of baits. I think that brings a little bit of boost into the whole deal as well. Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, then, so let's talk, I know we want to talk about casting open water, but let's talk about, you know, trolling open water for a minute. If people are going to, let's just say they're going to go out and try any open water, any, we'll not go specific to Minnesota. What would be, say, two baits that you think that they would probably have to run on almost any body of water? I'll get, let, Stuart, why don't you throw out your two? Brad, why don't you throw out your two?
2: Uh, mine would be two 12-inch matlocks. That's all you need. I mean, I've seen Brad catch a lot of fish on headlocks. Um, I really like the 12-inch matlocks by Supernatural, so that, that would be what I would have out there for sure.
1: I think the game has changed a little bit for me, uh, Jeff, and... You know, years ago, it was always a 13-inch grandma. I would say that the headlock resembles that almost to a T, but I think it's a little bit bigger profile, and it's really incredible. The matlock, being a little bit of a fatter bait, has a different swimming action than the headlock, and those would be the top two for me. I mean, it's amazing. Um, We do use some of our trolling girls as well, but in the last couple of years, I would say it was the
2: headlock and the matlock. Absolutely. The, the Phantom Hexes are cool ones, too. Um, those are cool baits. But, yeah, definitely for the people I've trolled with and in my vote, a lot of times it's matlocks that I have out there.
0: That's interesting. So all three of us would completely agree, then, that if at least if you're trolling two lines, one of them probably should be a supernatural of some sort. Correct? Because Yeah. I would, be going, I would choose a 10-inch Matlock versus you going with the 12-inch Matlock, but typically we'll say us Wisconsin guys, we like to scale a little bit smaller than you guys do in Minnesota. You know, they do everything bigger in Minnesota, right? So that's where that's where I'd be. I'd be a 10-inch Matlock for me, for one of them for sure. And then I would probably be running something small. I'd probably either be, uh, I don't know, there's a whole pile of them. Um, Musky Train Diesel, uh, Tough Shad, uh, I don't know. There's a whole pile of them. 8-inch Jakes eight inch slammers, seven inch slammers, six inch slammers. There's so many other ones that I would play around with. I mean, even a 22 long or stuff like that. So if I was running two, I'd be going one big, one small, but mostly that's just because, I mean, like I said, we're, we're also not chasing, a lot of us aren't chasing like tulipies, you know, so matching the bait fish, we're typically chasing smaller bait fish as well.
1: I think the unique thing about this, Jeff, is that, every year it's a little bit different, you know? So your question about what we're going to be running, I mean, we answered it honestly, but every year it's a little bit different. So some years, like last year, for whatever reason, the 12 inch headlock was like my bait. It was incredible. And if you go to Mayhem's 10,000 cast and you watch the fifth episode, all five fish came on the same exact bait. It was black, had a washboard silver side on it, black belly, black back. 12-inch headlock, and it got it done. And it got it done the whole month of November. I mean, it was insane. We could have all kinds of baits out, and guess what? That was the one that was getting eaten. Now, this year, it might be a 10-inch matlock. You you just don't know. And so, you know, how much runtime do you put on on a bait? Well, when you're out there trolling um, and you're going by fish, you're seeing them on your side imaging, guess what? If that fish didn't react to anything that you have out in that spread... I would start considering trying a couple different colors or different sizes. And you always got to keep the bait out there that you know that you caught on last, right? So believe me, I'm going to put some time on that bait because there's something (laughs) special about it, right? Yeah, And it's amazing how many people, they have one of those amazing baits in their arsenal and they use it and it always seems to catch. So figure that out. On the bright, sunny days, I would definitely use like a chartreuse or an orange belly. And generally speaking, uh, on a cloudier day, I'm going to use more of a white or natural pattern. And um, we threw this black one in the
2: mix, and it, it's been phenomenal ever since. Yeah, one thing I'll just give up right away for, for people, if you're just going to start start open water trolling is definitely don't put them back too far i mean if you put them on boards you can put them out away from the boat pretty far but you don't need to get those supernaturals very far back from the boards i mean i think last year at one point i think brad had a like a one or a zero on the line counter outs i mean a lot of times you can stand up in the back of the boat and you can see that bait working just below the surface and it's incredible those fish will come up and crush it when it's you know four or five feet down it's incredible what they'll do to those baits
1: one to ten foot if you're running boards i yeah. keep them high.
0: Well, I mean, that's good. That's good information, obviously. So Brad, let me, let me dial back to your, your headlock, your 12 inch headlock. So you said it was a 12 inch headlock that you caught those five fish on. Is that right?
1: That's correct. That's just the five that were on film. I mean, it, it was amazing. I, I don't really know how many fish we got on that particular bait. I can tell you this, every night I came in, I was re it. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Well, I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to go over a few things here. So, Typically, now let me ask you: What kind of speeds do you think you were running when you were when you got those five fish? I'm only asking because I would say your headlock catches would be like kind of opposite of what you would expect, right? As the the theory is, I I would say, although I use matlocks all year round, but as you get slower, they're supposed the matlocks are supposed to have more action at a slower speed. So I was wondering: Do you think it was because that headlock maybe didn't have? so much, it maybe wasn't quite as aggressive, and that's why you were catching him on a headlock that late into the season?
1: Well, Duff makes fun of me um, nonstop about this, but he even paints on the back of my my baits. He'll say, observe speed limit, because he knows that my speed is 3.2. I would definitely say when the water is cooler, or the month of June, 3.2 has always been my open water bite. Um, if you talk to like a Matt Seifert, he's three, one, um, you talk to Billy Biekner, who's from Wisconsin, he's three, two. And, and it's amazing because none of us had communicated about the open water stuff, say 20 years ago, but we all do similar types of speeds and we all do similar types of setups and we all have success doing what we're talking about. So it, it's very wild to think that, uh, you know, certain speeds seem to make it happen. Like I said, minus 3.2. I will say that in November, there's times when I'll I'll crank it up to maybe four. But last year, it was all 3.2 as well. So you can't argue with that. And as far as your question about the headlock, you know, is it not doing as much movement? Um, for sure. I mean, it's, it's a tighter pattern when you're going at that kind of speed versus a matlock and i think erratic baits are really cool and don't get me wrong i I, wrong i love matlocks but there's a time and a place and and, then for whatever reason i mean we were switching baits out the whole time but that headlock was getting it done i mean it was doing all the work and it just kept working so i didn't argue with it you're going to find that with every year it's a little bit different And so you got to explore and try to figure it out. And sometimes it's matlocks, sometimes it's headlocks.
0: Great. Now you just cost me a thousand bucks, Brad. I don't usually run too many headlocks. I'm usually running matlocks almost all the time. So now I got to go get a whole set of them.
2: Well, (laughs) I think
1: it's important because like I just said, if you have one that's toned down and you have one that's erratic, I think it's important. You need to do that. And a lot of times an erratic bait, We'll call in the fish, but the fish will eat the one that isn't erratic, right? Or vice versa. So it's something to think about. You know, what you put out in the mix definitely can affect your bite. I can remember a time on on Malax. This is a long time ago, uh, probably 17 years ago, <laughs> um, 16 years ago. And Greg Thomas was on a bite, and actually – They filmed this bite on Keys Outdoors, and it was Billy Beakner that came up with this bite. They were using deep diving slammers, but they were crushing the fish. I mean, it was insane. And I'm like, man, I, I was out there doing exactly what they were doing. And the bite kind of, the bite window of like a week and a half, two weeks ended. And I never did get a fish on a slammer. And I'm like, what is going on? Well, Billy, I didn't realize Billy was the one that told Greg about this bite. He was running a 13-inch believer. The believer never got eaten, but it called the fish in, and they were eating the slammers. So think about that.
0: It is interesting. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's like I've said it probably before on this podcast. It's a wonder we catch we ever catch a muskie with how some of the stupid idiosyncrasies that are involved to catch one.
1: (laughs) I've definitely mixed in some stuff with our tremor shads that we make, and it's amazing. They they might not get eaten, and they they have been eaten in the open water, but what I would say is, I mean, that loud rattling noise definitely calls fish in, and they will go eat that headlock or the matlock. So something to think about. I mean, bringing fish into the boat where they can see that quiet bait running, a lot of times is a triggering mechanism.
2: Yeah, I mean, last year we were open water trolling. I think the first day you didn't have that, that trevor shed with you, and we didn't catch a fish, and the next day we caught two or three fish. It was out there. So did it make a difference? We, you know, you don't know, but it's a confidence thing at that point.
0: All right, Stuart. Well, I want to thank you for joining us for a conversation about, uh, you know, June muskies today. And for anybody that's looking to learn more about you, maybe possibly book a trip with you, how do they go about doing that?
2: Yeah. um, Best way is either um, just give me a text or call. My phone number is 952-356-4870. Or you can find me on uh, Facebook or Instagram. I really believe Facebook is just Stu and then Instagram is Stu Maes, S T U M A E S. But yeah, give me a call, shoot me a message, whatever you want to do. Definitely got some openings, so love to get some people out on the water.
0: Thanks again for your time today, Stuart. I know we want to get you out on the water as fast as we can. Muskies to be caught. It's that time of season. So I want to thank you for coming out, talking to us. I want to thank all of our listeners for coming out, listening to another episode this week. And we'll catch everybody with a new one again next Wednesday.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It was awesome.